Welcome to the Stop Over Drinking and Start Living podcast, where high-achieving, goal-oriented rebel women come to learn how to live a vibrant and fulfilling life without requiring alcohol to get through it. No labels, no judgments, no saying you'll never drink again, just real proven methods to help you stop rebelling against yourself with alcohol so you can drink less and do more. I'm your host, Angela Masenik. Let's dig in. Welcome to episode 175, interview with Jill Griffin, career strategist and executive coach. Hello, hello, hello. Ooh, I have got a fantastic podcast episode for you today. My colleague, Jill Griffin, and I are sharing our podcast. So I'm interviewing her, and she's interviewing me, and we're sharing these podcast episodes with our audiences so all the women can get all the help they possibly can right now. And before we get into it, I want to remind you that Stop Over Drinking and Start Living, the conference, my online virtual conference, tickets are on sale. So make sure you go through the show notes, click the link, and grab your ticket. It's $149 for a three-day workshop where I bring the fun and the heat to help you understand why you're over drinking and real strategies to stop. And you have an opportunity to get direct one-on-one coaching from me at the conference. So click through, get the details, and grab your ticket. It's May 20th, 21st, and 22nd. All the details are through that link. And so make sure you go get one. Enjoy the episode. I'm very excited to introduce Jill Griffin. Jill, executive career coach, she's strategy and innovation. She has generated multi-millions in revenue for the world's largest ad agencies, startups, and well-known brands. And for over 20 years, her approach to busting through the BS, which stands for belief systems, and building a culture from the strengths of both the team and leadership is responsible for creating repeated and consistent results. She's worked with all sorts of brands we all know and look up to, including Coca-Cola, Microsoft, Samsung, and more. Advertising Age recognized Jill as twenty as one of the twenty-five women to watch, and she was one of the most um, fifty most influential people in content marketing, and um, among many other accolades that Jill has. I'm just so excited that she wanted to be on the podcast today. Enjoy. With offices opening back up to either a hybrid or full time, workers are constantly shifting their lifestyles again and trying to accommodate what is this next phase that's completely unprecedented. And the things that I hear people speak about the most is that this this re-entry is about communication and an acculturation process as we enter the office in mass. It's also thoughts around like, how should I get dressed? What should I wear? Because business clothes kind of feel a little bit weird. And the things that we were wearing two years ago either don't fit or don't fit us. And then lastly, that there are behavioral changes and time management that we think that we need to think about as we're reshaping what does our world look like next. And I want to cover that last piece in today's interview. As we learn to shift again, there are behavior changes that employees may need to consider as they come back to the office. And one that we keep reading about is alcohol consumption or the consumption of your substance of choice. We've also seen data saying that alcohol consumption rose among adults age 30 and over by over 14% during the pandemic. 
um, there is a 41% increase in women drinking heavily. Another survey said that one in five respondents said that since the pandemic that they report, they self-reported they are heavy drinking. And this idea that we've been in a slack phone, we've been in an altered state from our normal lifestyles, and the increase in drug and alcohol use across the country is what we're hearing a ton about. And this last study said that one third of Americans who drink had increased their consumption considerably since the pandemic started. So why am I telling you all this? Because I want to introduce you to one of my dear friends who's also an expert on this subject, and it's Angela Masenek. Angela, why don't you give a moment to introduce yourself? Well, thank you so much, Jill. And thank you for providing all of the research and the numbers and the data. Like, that is awesome. And those are exactly the numbers and the data that I'm reading, too. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a life coach. I specifically help women stop over drinking. Most of my clients are high achievers, professionals. Some of them have families as well. And it's all of the, all of what you're saying is true. So, you know, some of my clients worked on the over drinking while they were at home, they had a little bit more time. And I think what you said really resonated too. like, as people are starting to go back to work, there's so much anxiety around it. Like, mm -hmm. and, and what I really help clients do is really identify how they're feeling because our feelings drive our behaviors mm -hmm. and our feelings are generated by how we think about the areas in our life. So we look at work, we look at our mm -hmm. relationships, we look at what we think about ourselves. Those are some of the big areas in which cause, which are the root of the over drinking or the over Netflix over whatever, yeah, over whatever they're doing, or, or the yeah. over thing that overdoing what overworking is huge mm -hmm. too. I mean, that's a buffer as well. So, yeah, um, yeah that's what and I. That's one of the things. That's, I'm glad you said that on the overworking because one of the things that I'm seeing is that. The people that I work with through career strategy and executive coaching is that they are very high functioning, but there is this subtle overconsumption that they may not realize how it may impact their mood, their sleep, their behaviors, or their overall performance during the day. And when you think that we've just come from this extended period of working from home, working from home is much easier to manage a rough morning if you've overconsumed. Again, yeah. alcohol, TV, Netflix, food. You also don't have a community more, right? Yeah. So you're, you're in a position where there's so much more time that you could also be overworking because that hour or so that you used to put towards your commute, many people I'm hearing, they're just putting it right into their work day. So when you're working from home, if you're feeling a little cranky, you've had a rough morning, you're able to avoid coworkers, you're able to find that extra space. What are you seeing, um, Angela, as you are helping people cope with changing again their lifestyle as they're coming back into the office. Yeah, I'm seeing everything that you're saying. So a lot of, I think the biggest things that I'm hearing is what you said around body, the clothes not fitting. What do I wear? How do I fit in? What is it going to be like? It's almost like a social anxiety, mm -hmm. right? Because they have to go and learn how to be with people again, which is a real thing. You know, the water cooler topics, like the lunch room breaks, right? And like, who are you now? is is a good question that like you want to ask yourself and be careful about like not knowing who you are as you yeah. go into this office right so like don't let yourself forget who you are like mm -hmm. you are amazing and like you have all the same skills that you had before right so like you have to remember some of that stuff we you know we're reflected back our identities when we're around other people and so if we've been working from home and we only have to turn on the zoom a few times a day or for a few meetings a day 
we aren't reflected back and told and given feedback on the regular basis. Totally. And so now we're going back into this environment where we haven't been used to and we kind of forget that that's what's happening and it can be very overwhelming. So what I'm seeing is that anxiety, that overwhelm, not really sure who you are, the uncertainty, how you fit in, what your body looks like. There's been, you know, lots of people talking about weight gain, right? And then probably not taking the best care of themselves over the pandemic too. So all of that combined, <laughs> yeah, hot mess. Right, right. The perfect storm. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you show up and you doubt your 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 contributions. You know, in your team meetings or whatever it is that you're doing, and it's just something to be aware of. It's just it's normal too. Like I want to normalize that. Like everybody is feeling this, but it's great to have some tools to you know from you, Jill, or from somebody like me that can help you navigate that situation a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I often hear people say that they're not sure if they have a problem. Like, what's the harm? A little drinking, a little over fun. I'm enjoying life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I might occasionally be hung over. But then I hear clients often will say to me, you know, speaking with someone recently who I have permission to talk about, um, that, you know, he said recently that he found himself not only eating ice cream and over drinking, but then also looking for like, Ted Lasso or Schitt's Creek on Netflix, mm-hmm. right? It was like the trifecta of, you know, alcohol, depressant, you know, sugar and ice cream lifting you up. And then of course the, the feel good laugh of the movie. I'm like, yeah. what is, what is actually, one is what is happening there chemically, if you can talk a little bit to that. Mm-hmm. And then also how do you um, help your clients figure out, is it a harmless overindulgence or is it mm-hmm. something that they really need to think about um, reframing their behavior. Yeah. Let me answer that first question first. I used to have a trifecta too. Mine was red wine, popcorn, and scandal. Nice. Nice. So Olivia Olivia Pope with her long stem fucking wine grass and her popcorn. I mean, seriously. Right. And she was so sexy and beautiful. So it just made it so glamorous. Right. That's literally the only thing she consumed on that show was popcorn and red wine. (laughs) Always had a great white jacket. I know. Yeah. Anyway. um, So this is what I tell people to help you see if it's a problem that you want to look at. You know, if it's a problem, like it's so individualized. So, you know, if you wake up in the morning feeling groggy, if you're waking up at three or four o'clock in the morning with a dry mouth, heart palpitations, sweating, Mm. you know, regret that of how much you drank the night before and like, you know, panicking, you know, that you have to wake up in a couple hours to go to work. If that's happening a lot and you recognize that and you keep telling yourself like, why do I keep doing to this? Ring, ring, ring. That's your, that's your internal alarm clock, like signal going off. And you know, if that's happening. Mm. So for some people, that's one glass of wine a night, but they Mm. can't give it up. Right. They're not maybe as productive as they want to be in the evenings. They say that they want to get some other projects done or something at home after work, but they just don't keep moving the needle. They feel stuck. That's another sign. It could be somebody that drinks two bottles of wine a night, you know, so that it just depends on who you are, like where you are in that spectrum and how much of a problem, how often you're thinking about it. How often do you say, I want to stop this or you try to stop it and you don't follow through on it. Those are some of the signs, but it's, there's not like a, um, 
definition for it. So it's very much individual. You know if it's a problem, if you feel stuck around it. You you Some other signs are you feel like you couldn't go to a social function without drinking. Mm. Now, a lot of people be like, well, what's wrong with that? Like you're asking. There's nothing wrong with it. If it's not interfering with your life, if you feel good, you're getting the sleep you need, you're taking care of your body as much as you need to, you feel good in the morning, you're 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 progressing, you have goals, you're working towards them at work, whatever, then it's not a problem, right? There's many people that can enjoy a glass of wine and it's not a big deal, but you know who you are <laughs> if that is not the case, okay? Yeah. So yeah. like, that's pretty much what I have to say about that. Okay. And then okay. like the trifecta of like the brain chemistry of what's happening is basically people who over drink or overdo, they, they start getting dopamine kicks when they keep doing this action. So drinking is an action, overworking is an action, scrolling is an action, overeating, binge watching Netflix, all of that are actions that we take. And typically we take those actions to help ourselves feel better. So for the work case scenario, if you're feeling stressed or overwhelmed, right? And you know what that feels like, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's just heavy heart palpitations sometimes, just like fast paced edge, right? You come home and you're like, I wanna relax, okay? And you, you're consciously like, I just need to relax. I need to take the edge off. And then you go pour a glass of wine. That's you taking action from your emotions, mm -hmm. right? So your emotions are driving you to go get something that's going to make you feel better mm -hmm. because the, the way we're motivated is by the motivational triad, right? Seeking pleasure, avoiding pain, saving energy. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So when you're in pain, like overwhelm, right, that's mm -hmm. considered emotional pain. We don't like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so we're motivated to go seek that pleasure and exert the least amount of effort possible. Yeah. And when you drink or eat or whatever it is that you're doing from that place, you train your brain over time to keep to seek that thing that you're doing in that moment. So it's a learned behavior that can be unlearned, which is good news. But when we take action from that place, that's when we overdo it because we're needing so much more from the outside to get where we wanna be emotionally, to really take that edge off. It doesn't help address the feelings, it helps just blanket them, to numb them. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, no, it's a really good point because what I often hear from clients you know, that are coming to me for career strategy help is that they often are suffering from perfectionism where they are, you know, which is perfectionism, right? It's fear-based, right? You don't want anyone to give you comments on your work or your latest project. You're afraid of the feedback. So one of the things that you're doing is you keep iterating. You keep iterating, iterating, iterating mm -hmm. to get it to be perfect so that you do not ship as Seth Godin would say, right? You don't release what it is. You don't move forward. You stay in that spot. And oh, look at the time. It's 6 p.m. It's time to stop my day. All of that energy and hiding go somewhere, right? That energy is in your body. And if you haven't processed it, it tends to come out in other substances. And again, as you've said, you know, the over-drinking, the consumption of pot, the overeating, or, you know, <laughs> or both all of them at the same time, where you've got the large screen on the wall, you've got the small screen on your lap, and you've got your hand on something. And like, you know, I think what what I see so often is you don't have to stop any of this. No. You just have to check in. Is it working for you? And if it's not working for you, then you get to choose again. And like you said, it's a it's a behavior that can be retrained. So tell us some of the things that um that you would help, you know, you help people with on rewiring some of their habits. 
Yeah. So I think looking at the habit, this is one of the most dangerous things that I hear from my clients or from my audience is it's just a habit. Mm. And when we say it's just a habit, it diminishes the weight of this issue. And I'm not saying that everybody has this big issue and you should be scared to death about it. Like I'm not about fear tactics at all. But when you say it's just a habit, it feels like it removes the power of that you have over it. Okay. Mm -hmm. The habit wasn't always there. It formed over time. Right. And so we got to look at why you're doing what you're doing on repeat. And the first way we do that is we try to stop the behavior, even if it's just, I'm going to delay the behavior for five minutes to see what's underneath the drive to do the thing. Mm. So the root of what I teach people do is learning how to check in with their feelings mm. because our feelings are what drives our actions. And if you don't look at that and you try to change your actions, it's going to be unfruitful right? Because you're going to be trying to do something without understanding why you're doing it in the first place. So I'm just going to interrupt you for a second, because I love that you're saying that because it's the same in my work, your mm -hmm. feelings are directing your actions. So going for the opportunity, speaking up in the meeting, not speaking up in the meeting, the presentation, the job interview, the promotion you want, it's all driven by action. And if you're doing it from a place of hustle that feels graspy and stressful, mm -hmm. you are going to create more of that in your experiences. Yeah. If you're doing it from a place of hustle, go get them, fight, like this feels fun, this feels exciting, I want to see what's possible, then you're creating your experience from there. So I love the parallel that it, at the end of the day, if you're using your feeling as the fuel to get what it is that you want, whether it's avoiding or whether it's getting. No, it's great. And I think to people like you and probably the women that you coach and men that you coach, it's like nobody wants to talk about their feelings <laughs> because we can't see them. We or, can't, or like, when you measure. ask somebody their feelings, they give you a thought. It's like, like if only thought. people knew that your feelings were the solution to literally everything that you do. I mean, yes. right? So imagine fear walking into a boardroom. If you could recognize that, be like, yep, this is normal. I got this. This isn't going to stop me and say what you want to say, right? Have the courage that comes from that, right? Same thing with fear in a social situation and saying no to a drink, right? It's like, imagine just knowing that that's just a vibration in your body. You're not going to die. Like it's there to help you sometimes right now. It's not super helpful. You can say no. Like if people learned how to do that, we would be unstoppable in any area that we need to move forward in. Yeah. 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 And if we were teaching children, yeah. if we were, te if this was something that we were talking about in uh, elementary education, that it is to normalize, like, I don't want to feel fear, but I know that if I stay present in this moment, I am safe. I'm only yeah. feeling the fear because I'm projecting what might be negative that might happen to me as I step yep. into the boardroom. Yep. But if I stay present and know that, okay, this is just a sensation in your body, as you said, I'm processing it and then I can still take action in spite of it. Yeah. Yeah. Learning how to feel, name your feelings, developing your language, like Brene Brown's latest book, Atlas of the heart, it. right? Language around your emotions, right? Learning to check in with yourself throughout the day. So like at the end of the day, if you wait and you're not super aware or conscious of what's happening with you emotionally or in your mind throughout the day, and then we transition into that evening time, it's real hard because we're tired. We've been working all day, right? To like turn on the higher part of your brain that wants to not over drink or scroll or overwork, whatever it is. So I recommend that people really just pause throughout the day, slow down, mm. you know, check in with yourself. Maybe when you go to the bathroom, like ease, things that you're already doing, think about mm -hmm. your, your already habits that you have 
you know, like that you do on the regular, right? So maybe every hour you're checking your email before you do that. How am I feeling right now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, take a deep breath, mm-hmm. yeah. in, closing your eyes, you know, like just giving yourself a moment to be like, where am I? How am yeah. I feeling? Yeah. You know, yeah. breathing, acknowledging, right? And then you don't have to carry that energy through you till the end of the day. And then you look to the numbing, escaping. So those are some of the tips. And then, you know, working through the urges is another thing, like knowing that you're going to have urges for doing the thing that you're trying to not do anymore. That's normal, mm-hmm. but you don't want to avoid it. You don't want to say, I hate these urges. You just be like, yeah, I'm having an urge because I'm trying to break this cycle and it's normal. It's nothing to be worried about. Again, Breathing, and I can get through processing. It. Yeah. 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 Um, I love that too, because, you know, the way I pro- approach career is I have this approach of sort of like this no BS career strategy approach. Mm-hmm. And it's made up of a couple of different elements. And the first is like, we get really clear on, on what is driving our purpose. Mm-hmm. We understand who we are and our talents. And we understand how our talents show up in action. The next part is well-being. Mm-hmm. where I've said many times, like as we wait for diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging dollars to come and start having conversations at the you know, post-pandemic level where we need to be doing so many of the things that we haven't done for so many years to make sure that we have diverse workplaces that are equitable and including. But why we're waiting for that, we need to be able to take care of ourselves. So getting really clear in your non-negotiables, what is it around your own personal wellness? What, what it is that you're going to do as far as um, actions and behaviors and also what you're not gonna do. And then the last part is mindset and how do those three tiers come together. Mindset, both thinking about today, thinking about your future and planning it through. Mm-hmm. Working on those three areas is, you know, is one of the things that I've seen give really the most hope confidence and conviction for people to build very fulfilling careers that, yeah. uh, you know, as Adam Grant likes to say, like make work, not suck. So right, I love right. that your piece of, of the, the, the take on, you know, drinking and wellness and well-being, how that fits into, you know, it's really a life strategy. I call it a career strategy, but for you, it might be the life strategy. Yeah. I mean, it's like, the, think about how you do one thing in one area of your life is pretty similar in all the other buckets. Right. So if you're overworked and overstressed during the day, that's going to show up at home life, too. Right. And so if you take care of yourself at home and you're respecting your body, getting good sleep, drinking your water, managing your mind, giving yourself time and space to relax in a healthy way. Right. Drinking alcohol is not relaxing. We think it is. (laughs) But it just it's what it's doing is covering up all of the shit that you are not dealing with. Right. And when you remove that and you actually get to the source of how you're thinking about stuff and like what's happening in your life and maybe how you're not taking care of yourself now you have an opportunity to actually fix it right mm-hmm. it's just a it's just such a bummer that people think that they need that to function or to relax because there's just so many other things that you can do right like mm-hmm. taking a walk in the middle of the day right, right? taking right. a walk after work like move, doing some stretching doing some breathing none of this co- has to cost any money or extra time right you know? right Right. Um, so tell us, you know, if someone is thinking, I want to cut down, and again, your program is stop over drinking and start living and have fun. Um, I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about that, because I do think that there's a bias that if I'm not drinking, or maybe I have 
uh, you know, a glass of wine at the start of the party, but then I'm not going to drink the rest of the party or something that I've cut down my, my drinking in order to stay present and also, mm-hmm. you know, be able to, to have conversation, mm-hmm. but give, give people some idea about the fun part of like, it's not all or nothing. You mm-hmm. may cut down your consumption, but it doesn't have to be like you're either in the penalty box or yeah. The, the, I often hear people say, even when they, they go on a diet, if they're cutting down consumption, everyone's like, oh, are you on a diet? It's like, well, no, I just making choices for myself. And then you feel like, oh, I have to answer these questions. So yeah, yeah. Give some, I would love to you give some color to some of that. Okay. So what is fun? So fun is a mental construct. Okay. So I was saying that like concerts or dance parties or social events or wine tastings or whatever it is that you're doing doesn't equal fun for everybody, right? Mm -hmm. Some people don't think those things are fun. And so when we look about what is fun and what is not, we have just adapted this societal belief that drinking equals fun, Mm -hmm. that things aren't fun unless you're drinking. So it just goes back to your culture, your family um, upbringing, your college experience, like whatever that looked like for you and alcohol and what our society is constantly telling us. So we see pictures of people having fun with alcohol all the time, right? So it's like on every TV show, movie, social media feed, people are sharing pictures of the cocktails with smiles on their face and looking good and having fun and the social connection, all of that. So we have to remember just like, you know, there's other social invisible influences, right? Society influences that we have. Alcohol's influence is also one of them. So it makes us believe that alcohol is more fun, but the fun comes from you. Like you make something fun, right? So the way you think about a situation is either going to be awesome or it's not, right? And so if you go into that social situation saying, I'm not going to have any fun because I'm not drinking, that's going to be your experience, right? But if you go into it open and be like, I'm going to have to learn how to have fun without alcohol. Like for me in my story, I grew up learning how to be social as an adult with alcohol, partying at college, you know, all of that stuff. I never did anything without alcohol. So I literally did not know how to be in these types of environments, even in the workplace. Yeah. I was in pharmaceutical sales for a long time and advertising as you were, right? <laughs> and like none of, no social function after work Ever. hours or Ever. even in the middle of the day yeah. didn't have alcohol. But I think it's also really important where helping people know how to handle it. So for myself, um, you know, I'm a traumatic brain injury survivor. So alcohol doesn't really work in my life. Occasionally Mm -hmm. I've, you know, had drinks over the years, but what I always did is I would always have a negotiation with the bartender so that my drink was filled with water or Mm -hmm. that, you know, when shots were coming out, mine was filled with water or that, you know, Pellegrino you thought was something else, but it was really a Pellegrino. Mm-hmm. I would love to get to a place. I mean, I think the decisions I would make now would be very different than the decisions I would be making in my early thirties, mm-hmm. but I would love to get to a place where more people normalize. Well, no, I'm, I'm just drinking water, but I'm having fun. Or I'm just having, you know, yeah. a diet Coke, but I'm having fun versus yeah. I got through it because, you know, I tip the bartender extra to give me. Right. Which is a lot of work, right? And like focus on that and like managing other people's thoughts. And, you know, we're so scared of what other people are going to think, right? That's like about the fun thing. It's the peer pressure, right? So the come on, Griffin, just do a shot, lighten up. It's not going to, right? It's that, that I hear a lot from my clients too, where Mm -hmm. they don't necessarily want, you know, 
if they're away on business travel with other colleagues, the assumption that every night we're going to drink is not, is is really hard sometimes to stand up to and be like, no, I'm actually going to, you know, go back to the hotel and hit the gym. Yeah. I mean, I think like we think that that's hard, but if you do it a couple of times and you go in and you're like, this is what I'm doing and you don't make it a big deal, like I'm good for now works a lot of the time. Yeah. I'm good for now. Right. Like yeah. I'm just, I'm really thirsty. I'm going to get a water for now to start. Yes. Yes. And then nobody yeah. pays attention after yeah. that. Right. And very so, similar work when someone's passing you something and wants you to eat something, you're like, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe in a bit. Yeah. Right. Or thank you. Give them a hard yes or no. Yeah. Or you just say thank you. And like you set it down, like it doesn't have to be this big thing. Right. And I think that just gives a lot of people permission. It's like, don't, you don't have to say no, but you can be like, not right now. Mm. I'm good for now, which really works. But I also think that it's so important that we just, all of us in the workplace, even when we're not even looking at telling people, no, I don't want to drink is we have to stop worrying about how other people are going to feel when we do that. Right. right. So right. my clients, but how biggest, do they do that? Yeah. So you have to take responsibility for your own feelings first, learn how to do that, right? Learn how to like that you are responsible and you have agency over your own feelings and that other adults have agency and responsibility over their feelings. Mm. So it doesn't matter what you say or do. Everybody is going to have a different thought and different interpretation of that that will create their own emotional experience, right? And letting adults be adults is a really good piece of advice, right? So even if you say, sure, and then you put it down, someone could think, oh, that's rude, right? Like, we don't know what people are going to think. Mm-hmm. But what, what I do and help my clients see is, like, we can't manage. So don't even try to, like manipulate or change what people are going to think, say, or do to you in these situations. When you find yourself worried about that, you just focus on yourself, turn it around and ask, what am I thinking and feeling right now? And really it just, people get really worked up about this way more than necessary. And I have been seeing trends and more reporting back from my clients. People just don't care. Like they don't care as much as we think they do. Yes, you might have some of those people that be like, come on. But really like they are just not wanting to drink alone. And that's about them. What made you get into this work? Because mm, I had over drink for 20 plus years. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So I have real life experience with it. You know, I started drinking at a very young age, partying in college. I got into pharmaceutical sales and worked in advertising agencies in my career and you know, the drinking just got cooler. It got more expensive. It got, you know, I was entertaining clients and, you know, trying to be fun and do all that stuff and a bunch of travel. And I, you know, I'd go to a work trip or something like that. And like, I would drink and overeat so much. I'd come home and like my ankles would swell up on the plane and Mm. it would take me days to recover from all of the consumption that I did. Mm -hmm. Um, but really like once I had kids, I have three kids and, I went back to work at an advertising agency and I was just so overwhelmed and full of anxiety. I felt like I had no time to myself um, and I was definitely using alcohol at the end of the day to manage the overwhelm and anxiety that I felt about managing all the things. So, yeah, so I decided yeah. to, you know, join a program, a life coaching program, and I got to the root of why I was over drinking. I realized that I was in control of my emotions and that it wasn't my boss or my husband or my kids that was making me feel that way and owned it and it changed everything. So I decided to become a life coach who helps other people do that. Um, I think it's helpful for people to understand also that 
you're not just someone who's trained in this. You actually lived it. You made yes. the changes in your own life first. Yes. And now you are uniquely qualified as an expert to help other people Absolutely. do this, the same thing. I think that's really important to know. I got into my work of being a career strategist and helping people with their careers for very similar reasons. I had a really successful career, but what I was constantly finding is that I would start the day in a great mood. By lunchtime, maybe nothing had happened, but I would be really stressed out. I would be um, not really thinking clearly, wondering what had gone wrong, and the only thing that had gone wrong was my thoughts. And then I wasn't able to function strategically. And my job title was strategist. So on top of not necessarily knowing like what was going on and why someone's comments or them not commenting or giving a compliment or not giving a compliment, why that was impacting my day so much. And then also there were times in which I had questions, but there seemed to be no one to ask. Um, either you know my leadership or my boss was not available or it was something that I felt like from an imposter syndrome standpoint that I should have known and I shouldn't really be asking them that. And I just wished that there was someone that I could go to that understood, that actually did this work and knew what it was like to work in the cube farm, to work in an office, to even maybe be super senior in a company and know that you still need support and help. So when I created my coaching practice, it was really about a strategic lens on not only who you are, how you show up, how you articulate your own excellence, but also working through strategic challenges. How do you manage this particular issue with a client? How do you actually think about their strategy that you may need some ideas and you want to bounce off? And then also, how do you manage and up-level your executive presence? And much like you, that is exactly why I do this work. And I also think that, you know, what you're saying about other people's opinions is something that I see come up a lot in the work I do with clients where whether they're drinking or not, they're, they're not over drinking. They may mm -hmm. have um, alcohol, but then they're on an event and there's that slurry colleague that may be senior to you that's now asking you questions and you feel like you have to in engage and interact. Yeah. And the thing that I always say to them is, you know, where can you find the question and the question and be able to pivot the question back? so that you're not actually getting caught in a conversation with someone who come tomorrow may remember all or, no, or little or nothing of the actual conversation, yet yeah. you're left with the thoughts of, you know, did I handle it well when someone, you know, was was not necessarily, they, they were overserved. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Begin with. yeah. <laughs> they were yeah. overserved. No, I think that's actually really good advice. Or just, I always like think about, I visualize myself in a room like that and I'm kind of caught you know, stuck in this, you know, sticky conversation with somebody. And I'm like, Oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. Hold on one second. And I just walk away. <laughs> you know, and then like, you just come back or you might not. But or you that, might not. And you just yeah. find a way. Right. I, I, I like the idea of just wearing it like a loose garment. Like it's yeah. not there's you know, maybe you have some, you, you, you run through scenarios just like you would a job interview or a big presentation. You run through scenarios in your head of how you're going to handle it. And you're thinking about the stage or the state of play in which you're working with it. Yeah. Yeah. And you're thinking about how you might handle some of it. And yeah. then when things come up, you know, if your brain doesn't fire off the way you want to, as fast as you want to, again, asking that other question or just excusing yourself is mm -hmm. great. I love that as a, as a great tip for people to be able yeah. to work through. I so. also just want to make sure like when, when we talk about 
not worrying about what other people think or feel. Some people like might be like, well, how can I not do that when I work for somebody or I'm on a team or something? And I just want to, it sounds worse than what it actually is. Of course, as an employee or in an organization, you do have to take other people's considerate, like thoughts and, you know, opinions into consideration, right? That's not, can, do you want to talk about that, Jill, in the workplace? Because I feel yeah. this is a shared interview and I want to make sure that, how do you explain that to people in the workplace? That's a great question. What I do is always go to separate story from fact, mm. right? So when you you need to be working within your job description, you're, um, you know, you're obviously going to get feedback or comments or, you know, expectations and goals that you need to hit, right? So those are the facts. But are you responding to the comment that your boss is giving you or leadership is giving you that they're giving you feedback that let's say might feel sort of critical to you? And if the feedback is coming from, listen, Angela, I need you to do this or that in this way and it should look like this and it's tangible feedback that you can do, then it's then it's the kind of thing you want to do. And yes, it you're pleasing your boss, but you're also delivering on your actual um, job mm-hmm. requirement. If the feedback is hidden or veiled under do it more like me, mm-hmm. because I don't like the way you're doing it. Well, then I would just listen to the feedback, take notes, and you don't have to answer in the moment. You can just say, okay, let me process this and get back to you. That'll give yeah. you a beat to think. And mm-hmm. then you can decide how you want to professionally answer the feedback, or sometimes it might not even need to be an answer. You process it, you're taking it in and you're good yeah. from there. Yeah. I love that. And I, the power of the pause uh-huh. can save us from so much, right? Like from drinking too much, from saying the wrong thing in the meeting, like all of it, right? Just, it's okay if somebody says something to you, unless it's like life and death, we don't actually have to respond right away. We can think, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Let me process that for a minute. I'd love to put some thought into that yep. and get back to you on it. I love yep. that. Yeah. 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 And asking, you know, other things on that about answering those kinds of questions is like obviously getting really clear in the exact question. And mm-hmm. you mentioned the pause too. I mean, anyone who's interested to Google old interviews with Steve Jobs, I mean, he was a master because there were many times that, you know, there's always a pirate on the ship, right? There's many times that someone's going to try to throw a dart at the mm-hmm. at, at, you know, someone who's up there, very successful, very creative genius, and, you know, try to rock him or ask a question about something that's like out of left field and watching the way he masters it. And look, we don't know what was going on. He might've been counting to regulate his heartbeat, his breath, right? He might've been thinking of the answer. It doesn't matter. It's the strategic use of the pause, which is brilliant. It's so good. So, so good. good. We so all good. need to be doing that more. Yeah. <laughs> that solve so many problems. Right, 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 right. absolutely. Yeah. Cool. So I wanted to ask you one question. Like as people are re-emerging into the workplace or maybe they're in the process of a career change right now and, you know, they're going back into a new environment. What are some like top three tips that mm. you can give to these people? Yeah, that's great. So I would think about the stage in which you're playing in. So if it's your work environment, um, whether you are, uh, if you're LeBron James, Simone Biles, Serena Williams, right, you're thinking about the state of play and this is your stage. So you want to be thinking about how do you want to reapproach this? Are you approaching this as a champion, as a leader? You're thinking about your mindset. You're not approaching this as um, the idea of, you know, I'm a daughter, I'm a sibling, I'm a spouse, right? You're not thinking about it. You're thinking about the, the state of play. That is going to help your mindset when you're thinking strategically. 
to be able to come up with strategic solutions. So that's the first thing about really thinking about how you want. The second is making sure from a lens of, of confidence and certainty that if you need to look back on your own achievements through LinkedIn or through your resume, um, if you need to remind yourself of your excellence, to have those, I call them career stories, to have those stories top of mind and have them close by so that you're able to articulate. Love the it. thing that we have that we forget is that we've been in this world of either working in Microsoft Teams or Google Hangouts or Zoom, where it's very one dimensional. Mm-hmm. I speak, you speak, I speak, you speak, right? Suddenly we go back into the office and there's like personalities and people that need to be like, right? Yeah. And, and we, we have to find ways to rebuild trust. Otherwise we're gonna be right back to the level of microaggressions we were experiencing before the pandemic. Yeah. So those I would say are the two biggest things is really think about from a mindset standpoint, what, how do you wanna show up and, mm-hmm. and emulating yourself after someone you admire or a leader is a great place to start getting clear um, in confidence, looking back at your achievements, looking back at what you know, because when you're coming from that place of confidence, it's really easy to, I did it once before, I can do it again. And then lastly, thinking about your career stories. It's been a while since people have talked to you or met you in the the kitchen on the floor or in the conference room. And they, you know, or, or what I'm also knowing happens a lot is so many people are hired during this time. You've never physically met before. Yeah. So having those career stories that are easy, that are not jargon filled, that are just easy stories to explain who you are and what you do is what I think is some of the best things that people have been working on as we're going back into. I love it. I actually, my, I think my podcast last week was, t- was titled, remember who the F you are. I love it. <laughs> we forget who the f we are and all of our yeah. accomplishments that we've done like yeah. that's a good thing for to build your comps remember like we've done hard things now like we yeah. have we have overcome obstacles right in the workplace in this pandemic and all sorts of areas and that comes with something yeah. like you're a badass yeah. and yeah you want to remember who that is and what uh, everything that you bring to the table when you walk into that room so important I love it. what are you offering right now for services and coaching so I, I do group and I do private. Um, group tends to be more for the person who is, you know, five to seven years into their career. And private coaching is for people who tend to need more higher touch or um, maybe talking through confidential issues. Um, a lot of my clients are under contract, so they couldn't actually talk within a group setting. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the two main ways that I work with people. I also work with corporations to help them build strengths-based cultures. When we're really looking at team dynamics based on strengths, we're seeing the increased level of productivity, profitability, and retention. Because mm-hmm. in the great resignation, we yeah. want to make sure that we find ways to make our colleagues and our employees happy and provide yeah. them with an opportunity that they can feel fulfilled in the workplace. And I've seen great success in doing team dynamic work and strength-based culture work. Love that. Love it. And for any of your listeners, they can find me at Jill Griffin Coaching um, on my podcast, The Career Refresh, which has about a year or so of content of really helping you through anything from perfectionism to job interviewing to ageism, all the things that we think about that we need to work through in the workplace, which would be really helpful. And they can also chat with me on Jill Griffin Official with Instagram. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thanks. See you soon. Bye. Wasn't that amazing? Thank you so much, Jill. We've linked up Jill's um, socials and website and things in the show notes as well. So make sure you go follow Jill and get all of her amazingness. And don't forget, you've got to go get your SODSL, the conference ticket. Click through, buy your ticket, have fun, stop over drinking. All right, my friends, talk to you next week. 